Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Welcome back to another episode of Tis the Podcast, the podcast that's determined to keep the Christmas spirit alive 366 days per year. I'm Anthony. I'm Julia. I'm Tom. I'm Todd. Todd! Todd's here! Hey guys, thanks for having me again. (laughs) We're so glad you could come down from the North Pole to be on a podcast episode with us. (laughs) How's your brother Santa doing? (laughs) He's well. He's napping. <laughs> As one should do uh, in the off season. Yes. As one should do when you have an army of slaves to make all your gifts for you. Yeah. Right. He's in the he's in the self quarantine right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, what a great place to quarantine. The North Pole. The North Pole. I mean, isn't fun. isn't their whole three hundred and sixty four days a year just quarantine anyway? Right? I mean, not if you're on the floor of that workshop. Well, they're always all together, so they'd have to quarantine together. They just quarantine as a as a unit, you know. Like North Pole is quarantined together, and their elf biology protects them from COVID nineteen. Yeah, yeah. Keep all the etch and sketch elves with all, away from all the Jack in the Box elves. Sure, they might need to do a little separation. <laughs> <laughs> so, so y'all. Y'all will recognize Todd's dulcet tones from Christmas Clatter podcast, but also... Wait, you have a podcast? Todd, yep. I feel like this is news. Can you tell everybody about this Christmas Clatter Anthony speaks of? <laughs> well, it's uh, Christmas Clatter is the podcast that celebrates everything that makes Christmas special. We just uh, turned one year old last month in May, oh. and uh, we have episodes that come out on the 15th and 30th of each month and i think if all goes according to schedule my next christmas conversation for the 30th of june should be some some terrible guy named tom crow uh, he'd <laughs> come on in june so. he is super excited (laughs) don't forget you promised to ask both of them as well the origins of our show to see how they overlap or not yep yep and then uh, uh, last time i talked with julia she was planning on coming on in october i wanted to spread you guys out a little bit so yes and uh special she gets closer to the christmas season than any of us i'm spread out as far as i can be (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I was telling Anthony earlier, I said, it's almost uh, a year to date uh, from when I made my Tis the Podcast debut last year with the 12 Dates of Christmas. Oh, so, that's right. So now I've taken up a permanent June regi- res- uh, residency on uh, there you go. Tis the Podcast. <laughs> I think that's great. Hey, June is Todd month. 
<laughs> We've got to go back to themed months, and then when people ask what's June, Todd Killian month. Todd. <laughs> Also, listeners, you heard me and Julia joking earlier about Todd being Santa's brother. We'll plug it again toward the end of the episode when we talk about Patreon, but listen to Todd's fireside chat because it is the most magical conversation you will ever hear with somebody who is not Santa Claus himself. True. Allegedly. Allegedly not Santa Claus. Have any of us seen Todd in the month of December? No, I get a little bit more gray in my beard every, each and every day. So you just, you just never know. Pulling a Scott Calvin um, from the months. <laughs> it's that or the four. You, it's you that or it. the four kids. I'm not sure which one it is. So. Oh, I think it's the four kids. Uh, I've, your kids must be real good. Have you seen my beard? And I only have one. Man. <laughs> uh, I have to plug a product here. Yeah. Um. I try not to drink soda, but then I found this Dr. Pepper with cream soda. Yeah. It tastes like Christmas soda. <gasps> oh, man. Christmas soda. It does. Christmas I, soda? I want one. It does. I'm, <laughs> I'm unfortunately drinking soda because my espresso machine came in early and I don't have espresso beans to grind. <laughs> So sorry. Tom. Oh, I'm t- do you drink those espressos with your pinky out? <laughs> what do you think no, I am? Some sort of he has, he, has, <laughs> he has those espresso cups that don't have a handle that you just grip I know. around. You do. You just hold them like. Right. I was walled. right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was right. They're, well, you have to use those double walled uh, glass things. Otherwise, it gets too hot. <laughs> oh, Tom. Oh, I love your coffee ways. <laughs> I do want to plug a product too. I want to plug this new microphone I got. The you sound AKG. delightful. Thank you, Julia. That's the first time anybody's ever said that about me in my life. <laughs> I think <laughs> it every single week. <laughs> Aww, that might be the nicest thing you've ever said to me on the show. <laughs> it's going to get, don't worry. This whole show is about being nice to Anthony. <laughs> mm. That's debatable. <laughs> no, this episode, not, not just the podcast, just today. Okay. We're okay. almost halfway to Christmas. I'm feeling the I'm feeling the Christmas spirit. We are almost halfway to Christmas. You do sound really good, and that's a mighty good looking microphone as well. Where'd you get it? It Amazon. Oh, Amazon. There might be one in the mail on the way to you right now, Julia. Oh. I will hopefully Christmas. be here before next week. Christmas in June. Now, listeners, don't don't take that don't take Tom to be a very generous guy. Julia, he did not pay for it for Julia. He just ordered it and had it shipped her, shipped her. I wanted so, to clear up that misconception. So far, I have. There's not been any reimbursement yet. So so far, it's just a gift. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, re- we'll rectify that before the wife looks at the uh, credit card bill. <laughs> <laughs> And sees me sending fancy gifts to other women. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> Who are you buying microphones so, for? <laughs> <laughs> it was Anthony, I swear. No, I bought it myself, Tom. Don't use me as an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, Todd, what brings you to the show tonight? Lethal Weapon. You guys uh, had you guys had mentioned uh, covering Lethal Weapon since it um, has Christmas in it, and um, this is a movie that has been dear to my childhood since the mid '80s. And I I got on uh, Messenger. I'm like, if you guys do Lethal Weapon, please, 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 can I come on? <laughs> Well, I feel bad for, for making you wait because I remember when we initially recorded that fireside chat with you, we thought it was scheduled for like the next week, and here we are. Oh, uh, it's fine. It, it worked four months later. Yeah, I'm used to it. I know how you guys operate. <laughs> <laughs> we we did do better this time. That we didn't have a million rescheduling like we did last June. Oh, we did. I'm so it's sorry. True. That was bad. I've had a an Do you remember unbelievably that? bad couple of days, but I still am here for you, Todd. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, um, Todd, so, Todd must be bad luck for you, Tom. Because remember, last, you last, were, last, <laughs> remember last year, we didn't hear from you. You were asleep. So me and Julia canceled and you were like pissed off at us. And I was like, oh, yeah, you were mad. That was the Todd episode. That was the Todd yeah. episode. Oh, he was overseas in London yeah. or something. It was the situation. You, yeah. you were a little annoyed. You I apologize. Was super I, was, annoyed. I was cranky. My sleep was off. I apologize. There's no excuse for treating anybody um, in a way that's frustrated, and I apologized. You did. You did. Um, so I have, a, I, have a, I have a little thing about this movie. I wasn't allowed to watch this movie as a kid, and I hear Todd was. Were there any movies you weren't allowed to watch as a child that you remember not being allowed to watch as a kid? Mm. And I'm going to oh. go on. While you're thinking of that, I'm going to tell you. The one for me is Pretty Woman. I have still not watched that movie because I feel like it's a bad movie because it was so... I would, it was a full movie. It was it so... Like my, my grandparents were so against me seeing that movie that I still have um, uh, this fear of watching it. If you watched Lethal Weapon last week, then Pretty Woman's a, a walk in the park. Yeah. There, wasn't as much, there wasn't as much... None of that because they said, oh, they... they you know, they... For whatever reason, my family was very opposed to me watching Pretty Woman. For Christine, as a kid, we were talking about this. She was not allowed to watch The Bodyguard and has still never watched it for the same reason. Oh, oh interesting. And I so <laughs> will always love you. <laughs> Wake up, Ellie. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So there was head. never a movie I couldn't watch as a kid. Like my parents, like I was mature for my age, and that's how they gauge what movies me and my sister could watch. Like if we could mentally capable of handling it, whether yeah. it's like a mm-hmm. violence or what it was violence or whatever. They were wary of horror films, but that's because I was easily scared as a child. But I mean, I saw Scream when I was in sixth grade. Yeah. I they, watched- they said they said if you want to watch it, you can watch it. And then I got through that opening scene of Drew Barrymore. I was like, I'm out. And then I finished it the next year. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I remember watching, uh, I forget which Nightmare on Elm Street it was, one with Johnny Depp in the waterbed when I was a kid. And it's oh. like going to bed for like a month. I was just laying there on my bed wide-eyed as a kid. The, you you oh, know that oh. scene was an accident, right, Todd? Oh. Like the room spun out of control and that's how the blood came spurting out. Oh, really? I wasn't supposed to come I never out looked in gallons it. like that, yeah, but like the set was rotating, 
and uh, they lost control of it just uh, just by spitting around, and all the blood came out that way. And they liked it so much they used the shot. Like a like one of those spinograph thingies that I used to play with all the time when I was a kid. Like the scene Inception with, with the, the hallway. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh. That's funny. I was never allowed to watch any horror movies or was not allowed to watch the X-Files ever. I waited until I snuck episodes in high school and then watched the rest of them in college (laughs) because my mom thought it was satanic. There's a lot I was not allowed to watch. This Movies like this, I could watch if they were on TV edited, right? Edited for Mm -hmm. TV, which I feel like used to happen pretty regularly back then, right? Mm -hmm. I think think it still does on FX and channels yeah. like that but todd, but todd you mentioned nightmare on elm street the first movie i ever saw in rated r movie i ever saw in theaters show you guys how young i am was freddy versus jason which is basically like their last movies before their reboots oh wow yeah i forget i'm the old guy and with you guys around <laughs> I'm, not the old, I'm up there with you i'm up there with you i mean yeah we're all, i think all three of us except for anthony are all on the same plane for the most part but I, no, I was able to watch this movie when I was a kid, and uh, I just had to hide my eyes in certain parts. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, th- I think so, that's a good. I think that's yeah. a good seg. Maybe we should do a little disclaimer that there are definitely adult themes in this movie that we're pro- will probably touch upon. Uh, so you might want to listen when small children aren't around, and there's your warning. <laughs> so, lethal weapon. Julia, do you want to give us a plot synopsis? Martin Riggs is an L.A. cop with suicidal tendencies, and Roger Murtaugh is the unlikely police officer with whom Riggs is assigned. Together, they uncover a huge drug smuggling operation, and as their success rate grows, so does their friendship. Aww. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, dear. So this movie was directed by... Richard Donner, who probably most known for Superman, the movie, mm-hmm. uh, and the Superman 2 director's cut, which came out years later. But he also directed movies like The Goonies and Scrooged. Uh, this is not the first time that we covered Richard Donner, so I'll leave it at that. And also not the first time we're covering him. Shane Black wrote this movie. And uh, he... We covered him with Iron Man 3. Mm-hmm. We're going to cover him later this year with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also did classics such as The Monster Squad, which I love, The Last Boy Scout, Last Action Hero, The Long Kiss Goodnight, The Nice Guys, and The Predator. This movie stars an iconic cinematic pairing or what would go on to become an iconic cinematic pairing after this film. Mel Gibson as Martin Riggs before Mel Gibson went off the rails in his later life. <laughs> Is this the first time we... I feel like Mel Gibson... No, it's not oh, the first time we've covered Mel that, Gibson. Yeah. Daddy's uh, home too. That, Speaking home of going off the rails, there must be something in the water of this film because it also has Gary Busey. Oh, oh man. <laughs> A little off the rails there as well. Uh, yeah. I Well, we'll get to Gary Busey in a minute, because I have something to say about Gary Busey. Mel Gibson does have another Christmas connection coming up. I mentioned this during the Daddy's Home 2 episode. 
at which point he Hatch first signed on, I believe, but he is attached to play Santa Claus in the independent action comedy movie, Fat Man. I wonder if he's going to be a traditional Santa or more of a um, Kurt Russell Santa. I can't tell if that's sarcasm. No, I'm, I don't know. I haven't seen any pictures. I don't know what it's going to be like. I haven't either, but I mean, I assume Mel Gibson is not signing. From what I know of Mel Gibson, he's not going to sign on to play Mr. Cuddly Fat Guy. Uh, he might be trying to clean up his image, though. Speaking of, okay, I'm derailing. I'm sorry. It's Speaking okay. of Kurt Russell as Santa, <laughs> is that the first thing you saw when you saw that new awesome rad Christmas Santa sticker? Yes! I told Jerry that when he showed I, it to me. I loved it. I'm like, man, that is that is that is growing on me as my santa maybe after uh ed asner didn't even phone it in on our shout out from cameo he's cut that out julia because people loved that cameo people did love that it was such crap it still gave me a thrill to hear him mention the podcast and our names Mm -hmm. it did i guess you could call them elves that was a waste of two hundred (laughs) dollars (laughs) <laughs> that, that was the part that makes Sarah laugh the most when he was like, we'll, we'll, we'll pretend they're the elves. <laughs> I don't think it has anything to do with him being old. I think he was drunk off of his gourd. Oh, wow. <laughs> Danny Glover. Well, that would have been, drunk off of his gourd would have been a good one. Segway from Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> Play Mel Gibson's partner. Uh, Playing. Yeah, Mel Gibson's partner, Roger Murtaugh, is Danny Glover, who has had an amazing career. Uh, He's probably best known for the Lethal Weapon film series, but he was also in The Color Purple, Predator 2, Angels in the Outfield. The Christmas Train. The Christmas Train, yeah. Oh, we've covered him before, too, so I don't even have to go through all of his credits. Now, when I say I'm being nice to Anthony, did you see I didn't stop you and correct you? I just threw in a bit of... I just threw in a crumb for you to pick up and run with. Also, he um, <laughs> Danny. So Danny Glover, I always mix up with Donald Glover. The first names, whenever me I'm too. About <laughs> like, he is not childish Gambino. <laughs> no, he is not. But I remember after I saw Spider-Man: Homecoming, which Donald Glover was in he was the crook who tom holland webs to the mm-hmm. car to interrogate mm-hmm. he had the name of mile morales's uncle who went goes on to become a super villain later on anyway when i talked to my friend i was like oh yeah and danny glover played like mile morales's uncle he's gonna be a villain later on and they were like danny glover like he was spider <laughs> man i was like yeah danny glover and they're like you mean donald glover yes and then I did the opposite when I was talking about Solo. I did the same thing. I was like, oh man, Danny Glover's playing Lando Calrissian (laughs) in Solo. Um, oh that's funny danny danny glover's also in shooter with uh, mark Wahlberg, and for some reason he whispers through the whole movie it's like what he is he does. he's like what is he saying <laughs> the whole movie <laughs> uh Dan- danny glover also <laughs> made me super uncomfortable within the first five minutes of this film um yes, yes. but yeah. we will talk about that <laughs> in a few minutes <laughs> yes. um i think 
correct me if I'm wrong, but like the only other person I really want to mention is Gary Busey. Everyone else is just kind of like. No, 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 no. You got to mention Darlene Love. Yeah, you got to mention Darlene Love. Yes. Darlene Love plays. Are we going to not talk Gary Busey's? We'll get to We're saving the best for last. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited to talk about Nick Nolte's look like. (laughs) Darlene Love plays Trish Murtaugh, Danny Glover's wife. And she performed on the celebrated Christmas album, A Christmas Gift for You with Phil Spector in 1963. Yes. <laughs> she, won a, she won an Oscar for 20 Feet from Stardom, a documentary on uh, background singers, uh, 2014 or 16, I can't remember, which is on Netflix. And if for anybody that hasn't seen it, go watch it. It is excellent. So good, huh? Yes, she tells... That. She tells a story in there. She's the original lady that recorded uh, Christmas Baby Please Come Home for that 1963 album. Yeah. Oh, wow. And and felt and Phil Spector really did her dirty through her musical career in the 60s. She would record stuff and then he would say it was like the Ronettes or some other group that or the Crystals that did it when it was her, so she was missing out on this money, so she like quit. She just like walked out on him after all these years of singing and she was cleaning house you know cleaning houses to make a living and then her version of uh christmas baby please come home comes on the radio because it's close to christmas time and she's like that's me what am i doing cleaning houses and so like it you know midlife uh decides to pick up her career again and and it takes off and she learned you know lands this acting role and some other roles and starts singing and, and things again and it's a really incredible story and it's it's on that documentary along with the with other uh, ladies that stood behind bands like the Rolling Stones and things like that, that you wouldn't have any idea how awesome they are and never got credit for. So no. definitely check it out. 20 That's feet amazing. from stardom. It's a, it's, it's worth a watch for sure. Now Todd, I don't ever want to call out or call bull on a guest host. Do you really expect me to believe that Phil Spector treated somebody with anything other than respect? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's not the worst thing that, that, as you're telling me this and you say yeah. did these, I'm like, of course he did. Yeah. Of yeah he was, he, he was a tortured oh. genius, but man, he was, I don't know. I don't see how those people survived all of it. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I am glad Speaking that she found her geniuses. place back in. in <laughs> <Genius>. <laughs> Speaking of tortured geniuses, Gary Busey, AKA the man I always thought, missed his calling as playing the Joker when he was younger, plays our villain in this piece, Mr. Joshua. Where to start with Gary? You you talked about how you got, you talked about how you got the Donald and Danny Glover mixed up. I always got Gary Busey and Nick Nolte mixed up all the time. Same. (laughs) It, It has to make you feel really sad for Nick Nolte. Yeah, it does. <laughs> uh, <laughs> little trivia for you. Gary Busey has Tulsa, Oklahoma roots. Oh, that makes sense. Was born in Texas, grew up in Oklahoma. So, America, on behalf of the state of Oklahoma, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Brother. Seriously, I feel bad. This guy is a, just watching his life is like watching a whole train wreck happening right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Well, he's most famous, or at least he's got the most acclaim for playing Buddy Holly in the Buddy Holly story for which he was nominated for an Academy Award. 
-hmm. He was in Predator 2, Point Break, Under Siege, The Firm, Carried Away, Black Sheep, Lost Highway, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, The Ginger Dead Man, Quigley, and Piranha 3 Double D. <laughs> um, he also has had guest appearances on such shows as Gunsmoke, Walker, Texas Ranger, Law and Order, Scrubs and Practical Jokers, and Entourage. So I feel like you're missing some pretty important things here. <clears throat> he was in the TV show From Dusk Till Dawn. I don't know if y'all saw that. It was terrible. There's a TV but show? He was, uh, he yes. was on uh, WWE uh, Legends House on the WWE Network. He so. was in Sharknado. Four and the, and the fifth Sharknado. The last Sharknado. It's about time. He also played, he, him, he was also himself in Celebrity Paranormal Project, where four or five celebrity participants are taken to an allegedly haunted location during the night and are left until sunrise with the task of identifying paranormal activity. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I won't wait. Hold on. We got to see who was in his episode. Jenna Maraska. Takara Jones, Donna Derrico, and Hal Sparks. Wasn't he oh, on like Hal Sparks Apprentice so or something? Uh, they are all B, C-list celebrities. <laughs> so, probably. And then, what is your favorite Gary Busey movie? Not necessarily role, because <laughs> there's a big difference. <sighs> uh, Sharknado 5, the last one. It's about time. That's, that's a good one. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, oh my gosh. I, 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 I mean, I do love Fear and Loathing in mm -hmm. Las Vegas. Yeah. Nobody's given the right answer yet. Julia, do you want to try to get the right answer? Was he the one in that kids' baseball movie, or was that the other one? Where he had to ice his arm all the time and he blew his arm out. And it was one of those Disney movies where it was, it was, it was, it was an Angels in the Outfield. That was Tony Danza, right? That was Tony Danza. Okay, so then. Rookie of the Year. Was he in Rookie of the Year or was that Nick Nolte? I'm assuming if he was around children, it would be Nick Nolte. Okay. <laughs> no, you're wrong. It was. I'm wrong. It was yeah, him. It was him. That's probably my favorite one. I loved that movie when I was a kid. My favorite baseball movie is The Sandlot. I love that movie. I never said my favorite baseball movie. It says my favorite Gary Busey. No, 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 I know, but you just mentioned Angels in the Outfield and this. I wanted to get in right. there. I love the Sandlot. Like so many boys, Wendy Peppercorn. <laughs> my heart. The correct answer is Point Break. Point Break's your favorite? As the best movie that Nick Nolte was in, yes. Oh, I was never allowed to see that movie. You should. You should. Oh, Says the guy who still hasn't watched Pretty Woman. <laughs> Todd, what did you say yours was? I liked the, uh, I liked Buddy Holly quite a bit. Probably the one I've seen the most out of all those is Under Siege. Oh, Are you a Steven Seagal so fan? In that one too. Uh, at the time, you know, at that that window of time in the early mid nineties. Every boy was a Steven Seagal fan yeah. back then. I, yeah. Oh, he was with the Dolly Parton. Bolero. So, Dolly Parton. So, Lethal Weapon, like its spiritual successor 
a year and a half later, Die Hard is one of those films that constantly appears on lists around Christmas time <laughs> with Batman Returns and Gremlins and a few of these other movies we've talked about. For on these lists of non-Christmas Christmas movies that are perfect for people who want to celebrate the holiday without getting to those overly sentimental classics that we all love. So I'm curious to see where we all fall on that question, whether it's a Christmas movie or just a movie set on Christmas. And I'm sure that'll come up in our histories a bit and then flushed out during discussion. So let's dive into histories. Guests first, Todd. Um. I guess I saw this movie was was released in 84 Seven. 87 okay so as I probably saw this movie I didn't see it at theaters so I probably back then it took usually about a, a year before they came out on video so I imagine we went and and rented it and and watched it and at the time it was like one of the first if not the first like pure action movie that had like some comedy in it where you could laugh and I remember it being like so different than anything we've seen before and just loved it ever since. And, and when I rewatched it, it wasn't as funny as I remember because I think the series gets funnier as you know, through two, three and four, but uh, it definitely, well, I think they were just there's a bit I, of trivia there. Shane Black left the franchise as writer because of how funny they were making it they kept taking out more and more action to right and supplementing huh. it with more and more comedy right and yeah this is definitely the darkest of that. the four this is definitely the darkest of the four but yep. uh, i just you know i remember uh writing it when i was a kid and watching it with my dad and and cracking up and just thinking how how uh great it was as you know as far as being something different than what we hadn't seen before of course the uh, action comedy isn't anything new anymore but this is kind of in my opinion this is kind of where it started mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think that's where that genre got popular uh -huh. and where the whole buddy cop thing got popular right where do you right. fall on the christmas question well i am a notoriously easy grader as far as christmas movies as long as there's christmas in it i usually give it a pass and uh i mean this this movie starts off with uh, bobby helms uh jingle bell rock and and there's christmasy scenes and uh, set up in it and uh, i mean the story doesn't revolve around christmas but I, i'll give it a pass and call it a christmas movie so i'll just piggyback off that with my history i saw this when i was a child sometime after die hard again they're very similar movies in a lot of way. Mm -hmm. Mel Gibson even went out for the Die Hard part and Bruce Willis went out for the Lethal Weapon part. And hmm. I much prefer Die Hard <laughs> for a few reasons. Number one, while it's an 80s movie, it's an 80s movie that does not feel, feel anywhere near as dated as this mm -hmm. movie does, which was mm -hmm. the primary thought I had yeah. while watching yeah. this film this yeah. morning for the show was how dated this felt from the music to uh -huh. the styles to that cheesy 80s like that saxophone know. interlude in between yeah. scenes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so i think when you compare the two die hard holds yeah. up a, I, I think some better. of that yeah i think some of that's because die hard takes place in one building the whole time right and this goes you know through the rainiest ever los angeles anybody has ever seen I mean, well, right? 
Has anybody, <laughs> has anybody ever been to LA and seen rain like that? Ever. <laughs> I mean, and if that goes... in Chicago or New York, I've seen rain like that there. I have never been in LA during rain. And that goes on to my next point. This is not a Christmas movie for me. Not at all. Not in the slightest compared to Die Hard. That is a gauntlet thrown down, dude. Uh, this is not a Christmas movie. It's a movie set at Christmas. Apart, yeah, there's just Christmas had nothing to do with the plot. At least Die Hard, it took place at the Christmas party. <laughs> the Christmas Eve work party. Um, all that to say, I like this movie. I still like it. It's fun. Just not as good to me as Die Hard, which is the closest thing we have to compare it to on our list. So, Julia, how about you? So I first saw this movie, I was probably a teenager. I don't know how much of a teenager, but again, it would have to have come out on TV in an edited form for me to see it. So pick your teenage. Um, and my brother and I love movies like this and my dad loves movies like this. And so it probably came on, my dad had probably seen it. It was like, Hey, we need to watch this. And so we watched it as a family. Um, as a lot of my eighties action movies are unveiled to me in the same exact fashion. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I have always loved Mel Gibson. who's a big part of my childhood. Right. I mean, so many good movies I can name off that I love Mel Gibson in. Um, and we kind of loved him and as just a family. Because this is an audio, because this is an audio medium, medium, just so our listeners know, Mel Gibson is staring at Julia this evening. He is. Eyes. His eyes and are he's very piercing. Gaze. He's super handsome, Mel Gibson, too, because the younger, younger Mel Gibson was just really quite so you're, So you're into men with big feathery hair? <laughs> I was when this one came out, for sure. Um, <laughs> I... I also like Die Hard more than this movie, but I saw Die Hard more than this movie. I think my dad probably liked Die Hard more. My brother liked Die Hard more. And so by virtue, I like Die Hard more. Um, I really loved watching this again, though. Um, I watched it yesterday because I hadn't seen it in a really long time. And I had never seen the unedited version, <laughs> the not for TV version. So it did fill some gaps in. So when I think back now, I'm like, I don't even know what they're talking about half the time, but I'm interested in, you know, I'm in this movie for the action. Um, it is a movie set at Christmas. It's not a Christmas movie. Um, and I could all, almost chalk that up more even to nostalgia, why I think Die Hard is a Christmas movie and why I think this is not, because it's a very fine line between the two, honest, honestly. And I think people that don't have nostalgia built up for either one would say, you can't call Die Hard a Christmas movie and not call this one a Christmas movie. So I would um, argue that, but I'm sure we'll get into that in more detail later on. It is right. interesting to me though, right off the bat, that both of them are set in LA as opposed yes. to Chicago and New York, like the traditional Christmas movies tend to that feel more Christmassy, right? So I love this movie. What's that you like? Know, Anthony, when you say that that you would like to discuss that, I very much look forward to hearing your valid arguments on why this is not a Christmas movie. He's gone full it's NPR voice. <laughs> yes, I, uh, I am here to bring to you my sweaty balls. Uh, well, I had not seen this movie before. Ever. Wow. No, no. Oh, um, interesting. And I am 
it is so I have not had a chance to make up my mind. So I think my is this or isn't this a Christmas movie? I straddle the fence. So I look forward to some good dialogue and especially hearing Anthony's input. Well thought out. Reasoning. So the new trolling game, the new way to troll Anthony is make him paranoid by being overly nice to Anthony. Okay. So I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that and we'll um, make my decision there. I will say um, on an initial run, I agree with Anthony. I like Die Hard more than Lethal Weapon. Um, just as a movie. And I feel like a lot of it has to do with the the aging of the film, aside from not having cell phones, I look at, you know, Nakatagi building. I look at the cast. I look at the clothing. Um, I look at the way that they engage the language. It feels more timeless. Everything about this one feels very 80s, including that gorgeous feathered near mullet hair that uh, Mel Gibson rocks. Pretty great, right? It is. I wish I could pull that off right now, y'all. If I could have made that happen for tonight, I would have done it in a heartbeat. I should, uh, I should have teased mine up a little bit. So. <laughs> so this movie is smart because it took into account all the 80s teenage boys who were taking their girls on dates when the girls were probably scoffing and rolling their eyes when within the first two minutes of the film, a woman has her boobs out. Boobies. But Boobies in the two, first two minutes. But That's two minutes after... Th- Two minutes after that, you see Mel Gibson's booty. So yeah, the girls true. in the audience got a little something after that. <laughs> and then, after that, Danny Glover's family got a little something. Lord <laughs> have mercy. That was such an uncomfortable scene. I remember that scene when I was a kid because they showed it because they don't show anything. But, like, if you put yourself in the scene, like, there are not enough buckles. Or friends reference, there are not enough ships in that but in that in that tub to I who thought that was a good idea? They needed well, more bubbles. Like a I lot. Mean, Tom did they though? Tom or t- Todd? Did they? they did <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tom <laughs> it could have been a towel or a washcloth floating around or something. Right? <laughs> Tom and Todd, I mean, you're both fathers. How do you feel if uh, no, your wives walked in with your no, kids? Oh no. <laughs> Happy birthday no. while you're sitting in the bathtub. For, for one, when you're turning 50, why are you still taking a bath? <laughs> There's a really good reason for that. And it's because baths are awesome. I did not discover baths until I was like 36. And I am a big fan. I, I am too. Baths are that. amazing. Just logistically speaking, they didn't want to have Danny Glover in the shower because then they would have nothing to cover him up with when he came into the birthday cake. So couldn't he have been in bed? Yes, exactly. Sleeping in. Or in his office, or home office or something. (laughs) Uh, Christine makes the mistake when she goes to the restroom. She doesn't lock doors. Yeah. Ellie comes in, saying when she takes a bath. Me, the door is always locked. It just feels like it makes sense if you have children that the door is locked. You need some level of privacy. Um, I don't know where she learned the word, but now Ellie talks about her daddy and you to wipe my butthole, which is really <laughs> like, that's not what we call it. But uh, 
though you may have that level of intimacy with your child, your child does not need to have that level of intimacy with you. There are barriers that you need to have. <laughs> That's so funny. What is funny because they don't understand what they're saying isn't well now she does because of the reaction. But when she said it, I don't know where she heard it or learned well, it. But when she first said it, she had no idea it was a bad term. <laughs> well, it's not like his kids are all little either. I mean, he's got the high school age daughter. Yeah. <laughs> you oh would think gosh. she would be mortified to walk in on her dad. And that's yeah, and she was all just like, "Happy birthday, daddy! Let's chat." I mean, I don't. Oh, that scene. Who? So. I wanted to get the nudity talk out of the way just to address yeah. it because we don't often see nudity in Christmas movies, though we will see a lot of male nudity in an upcoming Christmas movie this October. Oh Keep my, it. what? Rare exports. Oh, that's right. We're doing that in October. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Okay, we're good. <laughs> Maybe he's going to do Eyes Wide Shut or something. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> that's a different like, classification to me. Yes. I don't know why. Because it's different, well, right? It's not, it's not in a connotation. Yeah, it's not in yeah. a... It's right. not in a sexual connotation. Right. Like this was. Right. right. It's in a fairy tale... Con- well, we'll talk about that in October. <laughs> but <laughs> Todd, since you're the guest, I'm going to throw all the pressure on you. Do you want to walk us through the plot of this movie? <gasps> you're basically uh, a glorified fourth host on our show. Oh, anyway, so well. We yeah. feel like you can pick up the slack. Uh, absolutely well, well we we start off and um a young girl throws herself off a building and they just think she's you know overdosed on drugs come to find out there was she, uh, she did that stunt herself by the way yeah wow and, uh, she threw herself so, off the building like that herself onto a car i hope yeah. they got only, it in one take yeah, yeah. the <laughs> only part the only, only role she ever played <laughs> <laughs> they they inflated the thing, you know, oh, people jump off buildings. <laughs> so she landed on a like on a on a big airbag that they painted to look like the street. So they could actually track it down to moment of impact before it punctured and then CGI just the rest. Interesting how they do that. But come find out she had a drain cleaner in her system, so so she was gonna be dead anyway if she didn't commit suicide from all the cocaine she was doing. So that opened up a homicide investigation and uh, Danny Glover was, uh, Roger Murtaugh was assigned to the case and he happened to know this young lady's dad who tried to reach out to him a few days before they were in Vietnam together. And then uh, he gets a new partner, Martin Riggs, who's suicidal and on the drug test task force. And, and, and he's, he's kind of like known around there, right, right for being right. for being a lethal weapon that's his nickname right and one, uh but also well, just for being crazy because his wife died right his wife died and uh the the counselor for the police department is saying you know he's suicidal doesn't need to be out on the streets police chief says he's not he's just trying to get uh some kind of pension or something for for a mental illness and so no one knows if he's you know playing the system or if he's really crazy and he gets uh, taken off uh, narcotics uh, and put on homicide, which I don't know why you would move one and, from the other. And when Danny Glover sees his file for the first time, that's one yeah. of like 10 times in this movie, he says, oh, I'm getting too yeah. old for this. Mm-hmm. Right. 
They start now, with Anthony, that line probably doesn't make a lot of sense to you yet, but know that it will. <laughs> I think Todd has probably said this before. I bet Julia has, and I said it today. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. It's just an old person thing when I visit you in the old people's home one day, Todd. <laughs> Can you speak up, Sonny Boy? I can't hear you. <laughs> Riggs and Martal, they get a call. There's a guy on the building going to jump off. And this is the uh, probably the most popular scene of, of the first Lethal Weapon movie. Is when, this is uh, my favorite scene. Yeah, is when Mel Gibson, uh, Martin Riggs, goes to the top and and he handcuffs himself to the guy that's getting ready to jump. And then he, he does those... Uh, great Mel Gibson crazy eyes and ask the guy, do you really want to jump? Well, do you? And uh, takes him and they jump off the building together. And onto and the guy, when they hit the, <laughs> they hit the air inflatable air thing at the bottom. Uh-huh. The guy is just like, Oh my God, he's crazy. He's crazy. <laughs> like he's so desperate to get away from them. So happy to be alive and just desperate to get away from him. Right. <laughs> right. And uh, Murtaugh pulls uh, Riggs into a, I guess, a closed store or something, you know, to see if he's really nuts or not. And that's, and then uh, hands Riggs his gun. And that's like the second attempted at suicide that Mel Gibson's character has mm-hmm. within the first 30 minutes of this movie or so. Mm-hmm. You know, he, it's, it's, yeah, he's, and Mel Gibson, I'll say to his credit, like, Mel Gibson is kind of like Tom Cruise for me nowadays. Like his persona kind of eclipsed for me. You think I think more of the persona now than the actor. Like he mm-hmm. was really good in this. Yeah, like he played uh, that distraught, crazy cop really yeah. well. Like you well, can tell he was messed up from the death of his wife. He does probably have the best crazy eyes in the business. Yeah, he does. Think, uh, he, does. he pulls yeah. it off so well. Yeah, and. Uh, even my wife was telling me, even when his uh, expressions of pain on his face were really good, it's like he doesn't have to say anything to get his point across. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but th- this is, you know, he did Mad-, Mad Max and some stuff before this, but this is really what starts his big role through the rest of the 80s and through the 90s is, is this movie is when he just starts steaming roll through in Hollywood and, and doing all that. Mm-hmm. But then... Uh, they find out that the the drugs came. Uh, they find who was fitting the big hotel bill for this lady that committed suicide. They go to his house. There's uh, girls there doing drugs, and he shoots at them, and they shoot back, and they end up he and they end up killing him without even after questions. a conversation <laughs> between the two of them. Right, Danny Glover's like, "Oh, we don't kill. We don't shoot to kill." Right. He shoots in the leg, which I think is against which I think is against police code. I don't think you shoot to injure people. It, it kind of reminded me of uh, that scene in The Dark Knight Rises when Batman and Catwoman are fighting those thugs, and Catwoman's about to shoot one, and Batman's like, "No yeah. guns, no killing." Oh, well, what fun is that? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so they believe they have a open and shut case. Um, and they so they go to the gun range to practice their target practicing, and we see how excellent of a marksman Mel Gibson's uh, Martin Riggs is. He shoots the happy face in the 
in the target and oh, I love that <laughs> and they're talking through the case and Mel Gibson is like it's just too simple and you guys ever see the the movie Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid with Steve Martin? <laughs> I haven't. And they they talk about this this prostitute that was on the scene that saw everything and about how they think she was lying and she was actually in the room with the lady that committed suicide and all this and it was such a loose connection it was like that scene of dead men don't wear plaid where steve martin would find this obscure clue and put about a thousand different points together of what it means out of thin air and (laughs) and so they go to her house and of course her house blows up because uh gary mr joshua rigs a bomb because he's the enforcer guy for the drug uh ring which is absolutely over the top 80s as you can expect it to be (laughs) so Riggs and Murtaugh go to this um the girl that that uh murder they're investigating go to see her dad which is uh Danny Glover's friend from Vietnam he's been he's been part of the financing for this drug ring but didn't want to say anything because they had his daughter of course, before he could tell him too much, he gets shot from a sniper rifle out of a helicopter, which is <laughs> total eighties action. Probably, action. I don't know, probably near impossible to do. I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, have you seen the <laughs> Fast and the Furious movies? That's nothing compared to oh my gosh what they do in those films, <laughs> brother. Those films yeah. are one hundred percent real life, man. That's what it's life on, like on the yeah. street. Yeah. Uh, you've never been in a car with me, Tom. One day. <laughs> you can absolutely. Oh man, that would be a buddy comedy if you ever saw one. Me and Tom in New York City driving around in my car. New York City drivers don't have anything on Houston drivers, dude. <laughs> we have high speeds that turn down to no speeds, and um, for years, my wife was scared to death. Something happens to me as a driver when I cross the Oklahoma-Texas border, and I become much, much much uh, more, much faster and uh, a little more uh, weavy in and out of traffic, tailgating. Good, then you'll feel right at home next time you visit. But we have more speed. (laughs) We can go faster because we don't have 400,000 people in a three square mile radius. Houston's much bigger. That's actually 26 million on any given time. And Houston has two downtowns. I don't know if you know that. It's. uh, I did know that. We have two downtowns, uptown, downtown, two distinct skylines. It's it's odd. Shot out of the helicopter. <laughs> and where they go from there? That's when they figure yeah. out he has yeah. a daughter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. They have uh, Murtaugh's daughter. So um, then they have a hit on uh, Riggs. He was, were they looking for another? They were looking for the prostitute that was in the house on the street. And so Gary Busey thinks he shot Riggs, so he fakes his death. They drive out to the high desert Victor, in Victorville, and, and uh, Martal drops Riggs, Riggs off, a, I don't know, a mile away from where they're supposed to meet. They have a shootout in the high desert. Instead of just killing everybody, they take them prisoner. Big mistake. Mm-hmm. You never do that. Yeah. Villains always, always. Yeah, they always uh, take prisoners, and it never works out well for them. And this is where the women in the theater got some more eye candy with Mel Gibson shirtless. Right. 
Yes. Yeah, and they do. The, chained up with the water chained, torture and right. The, the water that's torture. That's what I was hoping we were going to see going Anthony coming into this episode. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, make that your background. <laughs> a picture yeah, of you, the, though, Anthony. A picture of you. The... Um. You know, I'll give the movie, the '80s movies grace on this um, kidnapping a prisoner thing, but in newer movies, the people in the movies should have seen movies like *Lethal Weapon* and know that you don't take a hero cop prisoner, right? <laughs> They're right. still using this, but they yeah. ha- and they haven't learned. Yeah, they didn't. Then they know he was but, Project but Tom, Phoenix of Vietnam. Know? But Tom. I, I, they were told in this movie there's no more heroes left in this world. Oh gosh. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Oh, that's te- terrible line. Well, it has it has that. Uh, I don't know the actor's name, but it has that uh, that actor, the uh, the Asian fellow with the Benjamin Franklin mullet. That's in yeah. that guy in every '80s movie, including Die Hard. Yep. <laughs> and he actually talks in this movie, and he sounds like a a, a wimpy white guy. And it's like, is that his voice for real? You know. <laughs> but, uh, so Murtaugh and Riggs escape mm-hmm. with their do- with uh, Murtaugh's daughter, and they lay this elaborate trap to go back to the house and leave them mm-hmm. there. Right. Mm-hmm. And I like when Gary Busey walks in and Scrooge is playing on TV and uh-huh. he ends up shooting the TV and he says, "Christmas." Yep. Like yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, he goes yep. to the tree and finds this note that says, "No one's home except the cops," or something cheesy along that line. Right. Uh-huh. And then we get the most eighty of eighty scenes in this movie. This big brawl on the lawn between Riggs, <laughs> Riggs yeah. and Gary Busey. One thousand cops overhead. A thousand cops around yeah, them, like, like not intervening or And Murtaugh's like, I'm taking responsibility for this. Don't do anything. I'm taking responsibility. <laughs> and they're like, like Okay, helicopter. okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the helicopter's over the scene shining a spotlight down on them right. so they can see and the, they fight. The busted up um fire hydrants like Mm-hmm. Cascading water to make it even messier. More rain. Muddier. <laughs> so good. Title yeah, fight at cool. the end. Yeah, I'd forgotten course. about the end. I think for some reason I thought it ended. I don't know why that it ended with the water electrocution scene. Because I had totally forgot about the fist fight in the front yard. The I, I wouldn't want to get into a fist fight with. I'd rather get in a fist fight in this movie with Mel Gibson over Gary Bu- with Gary Busey over Mel Gibson because Mel Gibson looked crazy. Yeah, he was. Uh-huh. He did. Yeah. Which is a far cry from later in life. I'd get in an, a fight with anyone over Gary Busey because that guy <laughs> looks like I don't know what he'd do to you. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, Riggs and Murtaugh win and they end up putting him down. Right. right? Well, yeah. End up shooting yeah. Down. Mel 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 Gibson beats him up. But so when two regular beat cops come to put him in handcuffs, Gary Busey brushes them off like they're not even there. Yep. And so Riggs and Grabs Murtaugh. Grabs one of their guns. Yep. And uh, Riggs and Murtaugh both fire their, their guns at the same time and and kill him on the spot. And and they and patch it. They patch up the house because the cop car ran through it and the door was busted down. And, and they have watched. You get your Linus yeah, moment. You get a Linus moment. There's definitely a Linus mm-hmm. moment in this. And uh, th- this movie was a little bit deeper 
than I remember it being as far as the the themes that kind of ran through it when you look mm-hmm. past like the action and and the kind of the chasing down of the story you know because it's kind of like we're going here we're going there we're going back here we're going over there you know because uh, at the end um, well in that scene when Murtaugh pulls Riggs off into that store after they jump off the building uh, Riggs tells Murtaugh that he has a special bullet he's going to kill himself with you know as a hollow point and so he makes sure he does it right and and stuff and then at the end uh Riggs puts a bow on that bullet and gives it to Roger as a Christmas gift you know signifying that his uh suicidal uh ways are finished mm-hmm. uh, and it's you know because of the relationship they establish with each other throughout the movie mm-hmm. and then Riggs sits down and has Christmas dinner with his family right the worst mm-hmm. world's worst Christmas dinner because Danny Glover's wife is a terrible cook, apparently. Um, so this movie s- felt over the top when I watched it, but listening to Todd walk through it makes it sound just absolutely ludicrous. <laughs> it is. It, it is ludicrous. I mean, it's it's. But they that's can't not sit, bad. No, no, no. It's it's a fun watch. It's just they can't sit still for more than five minutes. Yeah, you're you're always yeah, at a different scene. But how yeah. many people can jump off of a building or get thrown from a building or every cop in every eighties movie? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, but for your to your point, Alan Tom, you just said they don't sit yes. still for any scene and yet mm-hmm. they still manage to have these conversations that move them along to changing in the end. Right. Normally well, you have like quieter scenes where they Right. Well there was a lot of um if you watch if you watch it again, there was a lot of uh, discussion. Mel Gibson repeatedly asked Murtaugh to trust him all the time. You know, it's like mm-hmm. all he wanted was someone to put some trust in him, you know, and you don't have the knowledge of the second lethal weapon movie when you watch this, but you, you find out, you know, how responsible he feels for his wife's death. And you, I guess you kind of get that in the scene in his trailer where he's holding his wife's picture and he's crying over it. And, you know, he, he about commits suicide then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so he's always asking Murtaugh to trust him in the movies, always asking, you know, for trust. And, and once Roger's daughter is uh, kidnapped, he does. He's, he's like, okay, you know, I'm going to trust you with my family. And then at the end, right after um, uh, Mel Gibson's character beats Gary Busey's character, he kind of falls into Danny Glover's arms. And Danny Glover says, I got you. I got you. Mm-hmm. That was kind of signifying that, you know, they finally trusted each other and that gave uh, Martin Riggs more to live for than what mm-hmm. he had previously. Definitely. Yep. I mean, the relationship is one of the funniest yeah. it is one of the best parts of the movie right. for funny well, and for heartfelt moments. And, it, and they, the two actors definitely have a great chemistry together. Yes. And I mean, the relationship a, is a cliche too, though. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest, the old cop mirror well, and the new young it, hothead. Is this, Although this cli- kind of spawned? Yeah, cliche. this might be the first one, so it's a little hard to call it a cliche if this is the start of that cliche. I mean, right. I could be missing something. My my movie history pre nineteen eighties is pretty sparse. So, well, someone... then if we can't if we can't criticize it for being a cliche, the fact that it has become a cliche now makes me feel as though this insists upon itself, and there's a cer- certain level of pedanticness about this film. <laughs> not really. Um, not really. I don't. I don't. Yeah. That's totally a joke. But uh, I just want to get pedantic in so, there listeners at home. The the, so, pro- <laughs> the one of the problems I had with this movie is is Murtaugh was 
they said he's turned 50 years old and he was like the old guy and Mel Gibson was the young buck. But Murtaugh said he served in Vietnam in 65 and Mel Gibson said he served in Vietnam in 69. Mm-hmm. So Not I'm like, much older. I'm like, how, how's these guys' ages work? <laughs> yeah, I think he even called him young buck in the movie somewhere or something along those lines. It's like, it's probably like <laughs> Anthony and Julia. So. Just a couple of years, but it's enough to make it worth. But if, if we're to believe Martel's 50, are we to believe that Riggs is 45? No. Probably. No, he's supposed to be 30. I read this on I Yeah, he's in his 30s. He's in his 30s. Yeah. So, a little, little so, bit. Uh, so, the reason yeah. I think, I don't think this is the. Where I give Die Hard the pass on the Christmas movie scale. Number one, the plot all took place one night, Christmas Eve, Christmas party, right? Mm-hmm. Number two, the music. Die Hard had more Christmas music than this yes. one. Did. And more Christmas scenery and lights and everything mm-hmm. in general. Apart from the home at the end and the song at the beginning, I did not get any Christmas feels from this one. Yeah. No, I would the... argue maybe the Linus moment is well... stronger than the one in Die Hard. Oh. I would say that the lighting as far as the Christmas decorations is probably pretty on par because the only thing decorated for Christmas and Die Hard is the party. And I don't, I just watched Die Hard not long ago and I don't remember the, the party being like over the top decorated for Christmas. Well, that one dead guy did have a Santa hat on. Yes, he did have a Santa hat. Now I have a machine gun. Ho, 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 ho. ho, ho. Or, yeah, or as Alder could say, ho. There's a guy that makes a t-shirt that says that on there, and I really want to buy it, but I'm kind of afraid to wear it out in public (laughs) nowadays. Oh, yeah, that's true. (laughs) Might need to rethink that one. Yeah, I think the Linus moment is stronger and lethal weapon. Yes. Um, But for some reason, the Christmas is more appealing to me in Die Hard. It's more cohesive or something, Mm -hmm. or consistent, maybe that's it. Let's face it, too, right? Die Hard had the ultimate Christmas song that played us out, or played us in at the beginning, which was Christmas and Halloween. Stop, 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 stop. No. Christmas <laughs> <laughs> music in this was much better. Anthony, you're making it very hard for me to extend this grace to you that I've been extending. I think Anthony's just confused. I feel like you presented him with, like, with it's like his kryptonite, I think, a little bit. Your killing with kindness is like, that doesn't compute with Anthony. He's almost like, I don't know what to do with this. He's a New Yorker. He's used to getting yelled at. (laughs) The Linus moment in this movie is definitely stronger and and, uh, you can, you can see it a lot easier without having to look for it. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's what she said. (laughs) <laughs> Not about Danny Glover, though, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been a cold bath. So. <laughs> so do y'all have favorite scenes or quotes? Yeah. I do, too. Why don't you kick us off, Julia? Okay, so one of my favorite quotes in the whole movie, and I remember it from watching it as a teenager, is a Riggs quote, as most of my favorites are. When they're, I don't even remember which building it was. There was, I think, a bunch of gunfire, and they're trying to get out of somewhere really fast. And Martin Riggs says, what did one shepherd say to the other shepherd? 
let's get the flock out of here. <laughs> and that always made me laugh. That's what when they got? were escaping after the water torture. I, it's it's pretty common. I like after they kill the guy in the swimming pool and Myrtle asks Riggs, he's like, have, have you ever met anybody you haven't killed? Riggs <laughs> says, I haven't killed you yet. And Myrtle's like, well, don't, don't do me any favors. Again, my favorite scene in the whole movie, like a lot of people's, is him on the roof with the jumper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love when he goes into light the cigarette and just handcuffs their hands together and he's just like holds up the key, see this key, bye bye, and chucks it off the roof. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I really like the line when uh Martin Rigg comes out, he says, Now that's a real badge. I'm a real cop, and this is a real <laughs> gun. <laughs> <laughs> I also I like love my- I also love Riggs's like inability to accept responsibility or think he's a part of any of the problem, right? He's just a victim of consequences all the time, you know, like his God hates me thing. But I like it when he's like, I don't think it's difficult. That's the way they get all by the <laughs> And that sounds like what every child says. I didn't do this. I don't know how this happened. <laughs> I like after that first dinner at Murtaugh's house, when they're walking back into the house, Rick's is like, hey, you know what? I think your daughter kind of likes me. And Murtaugh's like, if you touch her, I'll kill you. And Rick's is just like, ha, you'll try. <laughs> Like when they're working on the boat and it's obvious Danny Glover has no idea what you know, to do with the boat. And he's like, you got water in the front, you got water in the back, you got water on the sides. What's there to know? <laughs> I like the family dinner scene when yeah. he eats with them that first time. Um, gives me, it gives me Christmas feelings. That scene does. Uh, speaking of crazy eyes with Mel Gibson, again, back on that roof right before they jump when he's like, you really want to jump? Do you want to? Well, that's fine with me. Come on. Let's let's do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. Let's jump. I want to do it. And the guy's like, (laughs) you could see in his mind, like, oh no, I made a mistake. (laughs) Watching this, this is the first time in a few years I've, I've, I've sat down and watched it from start to beginning. And watching this, I kept waiting for scenes to come up that weren't there. And I realized I was getting this one confused with the second one. Yeah. Uh, the second one i was yeah. kind of missing joe pesci's character yeah i was miss joe's Pe- and then i was kept waiting for the sniper at a school scene and you know that that's in the second one and i kept waiting for this one to end on a construction site brawl but that's the second one as well so so now <laughs> i have to go now i have to go through and watch all of them and, there you uh, go feel completed <laughs> You should get some bonus Christmas clatter episodes about all the all the lethal weapons completely unrelated to Christmas just because right. you're watching them and you're doing the work anyway. All right. I like how cavalier they are about just random things. Um, you know, something really bad happened and they're just handling it calmly like when uh, Riggs says, uh, you know they're going to kill her, don't you? Right. So this is... And Murr talks like, yeah, Riggs is... So if you want to get her back, you're going to have to go take her away from them. I know. He says, you, you do this my way. You shoot, you shoot to kill, get as many of them as you can. All you got to do is not miss. And he's like, I won't miss. And we're going to get bloody on this one, Rod. Uh, he says, are you really crazy? Or are you just as good as they say you are? And Riggs just looks at him. You're going to have to, one of those other ones, one of those, mm-hmm. you're going to have to trust me lines again. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're talking about going to, to kill all of these people because this girl got kidnapped. And they're just like, it's like they're talking about where they're going to go get coffee. Mm-hmm. So that cavalier attitude is something I wanted to bring up when we talked about House. So the writers of that show learned from talking to real doctors and they're doing research in the show. 
that the way yeah. House talked, not to patients, but about patients, his attitude with his staff and behind patients, that hard-nosed, just very cavalier attitude is closer to how doctors are than other shows like Grey's Anatomy and other hospital shows. And they said they huh. learned from doing house and talking to other emergency professionals, firemen and cops as well, that you have to have that kind of cavalier attitude when you face something like death on it's such a constant basis. It's the only way to get through it without making yourself go crazy. It's kind of yeah. like you're a shield. So we already said this had a lioness moment. Yes, big one. <laughs> Tom, where do you end up falling on the Christmas? Day? I would assume that the moment at which a lead character decides not to use a bullet to shoot himself in the face is probably a Linus moment. Oh, you're you talking about the about assuming. Do you so? Do you um, think the bullet at with the gift wrap with the ribbon around it is the Linus moment, or do you think him falling into his arms after he's decided not to kill Gary Busey is the Linus moment? Well, I think the bullet is the bigger significant change mm-hmm. you know the Gary Busey thing was in the heat of the moment but after like we see that it wasn't a temporary change like he's really going to change the course of his life there is a real there's something worth living for mm-hmm. um, I mean I could argue you can make an argument for both but I feel like the bigger one is definitely giving him the bullet wrapped in a in a pretty little bow yeah I'd agree with it I would say the whole ending from that moment he fell into his arms to giving him the bow to sitting down with his family at dinner is just one kind of big blindness moment. So mm-hmm. in our what we're doing is yet again we're we're growing and expanding. Anthony is giving wise and in, insight that we shouldn't choose an either or, but maybe we have a Linus scene here. Did, did you and Julia make a bet or something prior to this? Did you was Julia like, I want to see if you can go a whole episode about like <laughs> <laughs> Well, Anthony, I, I don't know where that's coming from. I just feel like you made a really good point and you, um, we don't have to have this dichotomy between these two specific moments. Instead, we can have one extended line of scene. I think that's something that maybe I'll bring to other episodes, um, bring up the line of scene where, where it may be applicable in the future. I just feel like it's, it's a continual growth of our podcast and I appreciate you helping us get to where we are, we are and where we're going. Go back to your old ways, please. This is very <laughs> unnerving. I don't know how to handle this. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Tom, you win. I'll PayPal you here in a minute. So. <laughs> they had the bet. Wait, wait till we sign off. Wait till we sign off. Wait, so Tom, is it a Christmas movie? You know, I really wanted to get into the... Todd Killian camp because I imagine he's a great camp partner, <laughs> but um, I don't think I was convinced. I think I'm staying where I was that it's a movie set at Christmas. The Christmas feels are not as consistent throughout the film. And then it's not aside from the opening and really the end, it doesn't have to be Christmas. Right. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're not together. I mean, like in Die Hard he was at the point at the place he was because it was Christmas. These, these things were happening because it was Christmas, not just these things were existing in a parallel or an adjacent to the holidays. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, The, the, the problem this has over Die Hard is there's scenes that you actually forget it's Christmas because Mm -hmm. of the, because of the locations. 
And so, you so don't, what is it specifically for you, Todd, that puts it into that Christmas? Camp? Well, I, I just, uh, just because it's got Christmas in it. That's, that's my only rule. Does it have Christmas in it? That's you know, so, true. so, you know, like, uh, that first Jurassic world that came out, you know, take place, takes place over Christmas, you yeah, know, just because of that. And so I was like, Oh, that's a Christmas movie. Um, instant family, um, that just came out not long ago has some great Thanksgiving and Christmas scenes in it. I wish it had more because they, that would have been a good movie to, uh, be a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. But I, I realized the story takes place over a longer period of time. You know, I love so I, that Thanksgiving dinner in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed that movie. So I have this real, I know it's a real loose rule, but it's like, if it's got Christmas or it takes place mostly at Christmas, I just throw it in the the Christmas movie pile. Mm -hmm. That saves me a lot of uh, headache from having to dissect uh, minute differences. Right. Smart man. So are you ready to rank this puppy? Yes. Todd, as the guest, what would you give it? Still- oh, I will give this one. I'm ranking it as a Christmas movie, so I will not take off the standard deduction for not being a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. So I will give this a 7.5. Julia? Nice. I'm going to go with a 5. Tom? Well, we talked to this a minute. I gave Die Hard an 8. And I like this less. I would say on watchability, I would probably put this around a six, but it's not a Christmas movie. So it's going to have a deduction. Um, um, But I'm going to go ahead and bring this in at a uh, 4.3. So this isn't a Christmas movie for me. I gave Die Hard a seven. I said Die Hard was a Christmas movie. I gave Batman Returns a six. I said that wasn't a Christmas movie. I don't think this is as high on my list as Batman Returns. So I'm going to go with Julia and give it a five. Which gives us a 4.767 average. Which puts it at number 47 on the list. Between Prancer and then between the Tide, Office Christmas Party, and A Christmas Story. And that came in like 0.01 higher than them. That's how close it was. Wow. That's a very interesting place. I feel like just because of, I'm going back to, to support Julia here in the, the flaws of the Tis the Podcast, not a nice list. Yeah. Um, simply for nostalgia factor and its place in the American Christmas scene, that's a little too low for a Christmas story to be on the same level as this one, right? I think we can all agree. I, I agree with that. Julia's nodding. I think she half-heartedly agrees. I mean, anytime you bring up the fault in our rating system, I'm going <laughs> to agree with that. I mean, we did bring it to the people. We, we did. did. We did. And that's fine. You know, and you know this my isn't perfect. Right, it's not, and I've made peace with the way I rank stuff. Right, I don't compare it to its brethren. As you know, right. I don't stress about it anyway. So, do you see a value in comparing this to say, like, when you're ranking to comparing this one to one with Die Hard? Though, are they close um, enough to compare compare one another? Yeah, 
But, but I no, go ahead. Well, it's just when it comes to the final decision, like where to actually put it on the list. I'm not as rigid like I used to about right. it. Right. Well, I think because I've, it's getting more and more difficult to compare something like Christmas Story to Lethal Weapon. There's yeah. just there's just not a lot of there's not a delta to compare them on. Right. I think going into year three in August, we really should come up with buckets, like a few people suggest, keep our ranking system, but group like the tens and nines in, to me, you are perfect. And the ones and zeros in, holy beep, where's the Tylenol? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And just come up with buckets for every two points, like yep. five headings. Something to think about. Yes, it is, Anthony. Yes, it is. Dude, you are like... Freaking me out. You're freaking me out, man. You have me off my game, man. I can really tell. I don't know what what is going on here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Um, I so we got some feedback this week on Deck the Halls, actually. That's so, shocking. From two episodes ago. And it's actually more, more surprising feedback, in my opinion, because it is uh, more people who are defending this film. And it was Megan... I. Sorry, Megan, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Nguyen, Nguyen said, hearing you guys hate on Deck the Halls made me sad. I find it funny and I like the Christmas feel of it. It's honestly one of the first ones I watch every year. Must be a super unpopular opinion of mine. To which Bridget Oakley said, I love that movie, especially when Matthew Broderick is riding to the police station with no doors. And Chrissy Massey wrote one of my favorite Christmas movies. So Megan, Bridget, and Chrissy, we are sorry, but different strokes for different folks. Our dislike for that movie doesn't detract from your liking that movie. Uh, Jerry Davila, <clears throat> Jerry Davila commented on the fact that we were recording Lethal Weapon this week, and he wrote, great movie, not a Christmas movie, though. And Jerry, I, we happen to agree with you this week, except for Todd. And Todd pointed that out in Facebook. He wrote, Jerry, I'm beginning to think that you don't believe Christmas movies exist. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we should have a, uh, I think we should first have a vote amongst the Christmas podcast network, maybe, and see where all of the, like, let the podcasts each make a vote. So we would have, at this point, we're tied one and, or no, we're not. We're winning. Because Rad Christmas and Tis the Podcast say no, and Christmas Clatter says yes. And we all know, unfortunately, our friend Brian Earl will not be able to participate. He's probably never seen the movies. That's exactly what I'm saying. Every time I go to talk to him about movies, like, I haven't seen that uh, I haven't seen it. <laughs> we should still include him in the, uh, in the list. In the list, in the yeah. list, though. Just include him in the invite. I'm actually, I'll, what I'll do is, what I'll do is, I will make a... Uh, I'll post in the, to the Christmas podcast. I'll uh-huh. make a, a, a Google sheet or Google form and I'll have a, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes. 
undecided no. And I'll put in for Brian. I haven't seen this movie. Well, <laughs> well, um, when I did the recast of of Die Hard, I um, ten bad. I'm sorry. Yeah, on, when I did the recast of Die Hard, I went back to when uh, Tim Babs on I Can't Wait for Christmas did the uh, yeah. poll and downloaded the episode to throw the, the, the piece in on the podcast. And it had uh, uh, the, the Council of Christmas podcast, which had you guys on there and Brian on there and Christmas creeps and, uh, and stuff. And Brian get, gets on there and he says, well, I've never seen Die Hard, but, right. according, but according to what everybody else said, <laughs> you know, it's Dude, he came up with some opinion that makes a lot of sense without ever even seeing the movie. So. <laughs> that is exactly what we should do. We should have a rotating Council of the Christmas podcast where a different podcast has a question, gets input from the council, and each and we continually rotate who's hosting that. That's a genius idea that you just stole uh, from Tim. Stole from Tim and brought here. But no, to keep it going. I love Tim Bab, y'all. Yeah, I'm really excited for his Leon Day episode this month. His Leon days are the best. They are. We have a good Leon Day episode scheduled this month, too. We sure do. But. I need it soon, so I could do this anytime, Anthony. But you let me know what works for your schedule, and I, I will make my best recommendation. anytime, Tom. It's dependent upon Julia. Well, we will both be patient and await Julia's availability. Because I understand how, how difficult her life is as a full-time working mom. <laughs> No, no. Anyway. How to respond to you tonight? Huh? Yeah, exactly. It's unnerving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should have saved this for an, for our next year's April Fools episode. Yeah, really <laughs> <No>. <laughs> for next year for April's Fools, we pick something awful and are both just and are all just overly positive about it. Something that is like the worst Christmas. <gasps> I know we that... re rewatch Kirk Cameron's Christmas. Oh, I don't want to rewatch that movie. Or yes. we do that buddy one Michelle pointed out and watched the other day because it's close enough to Easter. <gasps> okay. So I'm curious to see where our listeners fall, think and where they fall on the Christmas movie or non-Christmas movie opinion. Where they fall on that scale. So Julia, where can they let us know? Well, we have tons of different places you can let us know your feelings. Um, on the internet so you can pick your poison and get there in a quick easy way if you're a twitter fan nice quick link you can use to get there just go to tisthepodcast.com backslash twitter if you're an instagram fan put instagram in there instead of twitter same thing for facebook groups for facebook and for reddit um, so you can get there easily and you can chat with other members of our really awesome tis the podcast community um, people like Todd, where well, we met Todd originally as a listener of the podcast, and now look at him. So come and talk to us. Todd's on there too. So if you want to talk to Todd, you can talk to him there too. Um, he also, I think, probably has some social media stuff he'd love to interject about Christmas Clatter podcast. Um, and we would love for you to do that. Absolutely. Uh, you can find me at Christmas Clatter Podcast, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, ChristmasClatterPodcast.com. And uh, Christmas Clatter is available on all podcasting apps. And if you want even more Tis the Podcast content, including a fireside, an interview, fireside chat with Todd himself, visit tisthepodcast.com slash Patreon, where, where you'll get full-length bonus episodes. 
We have a newer series called Fireside Chats. Again, it's where we interview our listeners. We've interviewed Todd, Jerry Davila of Totally Rad Christmas, April, who's appeared, appeared a few times on this show, Rebecca Bull, Charlene, both of whom have appeared on the show before, President Hot Dog. Uh, we're getting Disco 54 soon, who you hear about almost every episode, which is <laughs> awesome. We just have to work that scheduling out. Uh, we have movie commentaries up there. We've done Elf and the Santa Claus, and we have Christmas Vacation, hopefully coming within the next month or two. We have other just bonus full-length episodes. Me and Tom discussed the Netflix original Let It Snow. Uh, there was an Easter one recently. We have Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas ones coming up later this year. Uh, we've talked about doing a Hamilton episode when it drops on Disney Plus mm -hmm. for the 4th of July. So lots of good content. Now's the time to subscribe if you haven't. And if you want to donate more than a dollar, you might be able to end up on the show, depending on how much you're willing to give. If you want to support the show for free, however, or continue supporting the show for free, leave us a review on iTunes because every new review helps new listeners find us and helps us to spread the Christmas cheer 366 days per year. Uh, something else I wanted to mention real quick. We are planning our Christmas in July episode. We posted about this on Facebook and Instagram and we got a lot of seemingly willing volunteers mm -hmm. so if you want to send us a recording of yourself talking about christmas traditions in your country or if you're american in your state in your local city uh please do so and email us at elves at tisthepodcast.com before july 1st and hopefully a bunch of you all do because we'd love to hear from all of you i love listening to responses like that in the past when we've done them they're a lot of fun for us to listen to because we like to hear your voices too yeah, yeah if you want to our job easier because we have to talk less we get to talk less than <laughs> we still have the phone number they can call and leave a message if that's easiest for them too oh what's the phone number tom it is area code 918-200-9220 what is it it is area code 918-200-9220 Two zero. <laughs> I'm totally gonna prank call you. <laughs> it's a Google Voice number, so it won't show up. But you have my real number, Anthony, because we are friends. We are friends. And you I can prank call. Google, you can prank call me anytime. I don't know why they would. We're doing very. We're, Anthony, I mean, we had a great time meeting up in New York, and I'm looking forward to my next trip there, so I can spend some time with you and your lovely wife. Oh, I. Um, and I always I am, appreciate and welcome a, a text or phone call from you, Anthony. It's always great to hear your voice. You know what, Tom? Right back at you, my friend. And Julia, uh, same to thank you. Thank you. Tom texts every now and then. It would be nice to hear from you every now and then. Do Todd, you Todd text? You and Todd text? Yeah, we do. Yep. Well, Todd, you should get my phone number and text me as well. I would love to oh, hear from you as well. Absolutely. I'm not putting that one on the air <laughs> and I'm not saying it out loud for Julia to slip in in the, uh, in the uh, uh, blooper at the end either. <laughs> so next week we are covering a movie that I know me and Tom have never seen, The Ref. And the week afterward, you thought Mike Westfall and Todd Killian were the only two guest hosts we had coming up this month? Nope. The week after that, we had we are covering the Dolly Parton film Christmas of Many Colors with April Riley. 
So third guest host within four weeks. That's like a record for us. I love it. Yeah. Hopefully Tom will not still be trolling me in this weird way and joins in with April with the just straightforward trolling because I'm better adept to handle that. Tom, <laughs> <laughs> um, you're muted if you're talking. Anthony, this isn't trolling. I know New York has a different approach to a lot of things, but being from the South and the center of the country, like Todd from Missouri and Julie and I from Texas, um, it's possible for people to be nice to one another. And that's what's happening. I'm, I'm being nice. I'm showing when, you your love. <laughs> I'm showing you love, Anthony. What does it say, though, that Anthony and I, and I'm maybe Todd, I'm not sure, are so off put by your niceness tonight. <laughs> I, um, I would encourage you to look deep within yourself because I fear that may say more about you as people. Um, There's the Tom we know and it, love. It me. <laughs> that sounds a little more yeah. like Tom. <laughs> yeah. No, I would, I would search yourself and find out what makes you so uncomfortable with, with niceness <laughs> and having people reaching out to you in kind ways. What was in that Dr. Pepper can, really, Tom? I don't know why. Oh, boy. I just feel like right now there's so much anger and there's so much hostility in the world that I want people who are listening to this to ne next week to have a breath of fresh air, to hear all of us and being positive and sharing a positive, friendly, kind message of love with one another. I'm pretty sure that's the opposite of the synopsis for the movie The Ref, by the way. But <laughs> I'm excited to cover it. Not to mention, we have gotten messages recently about how our show is an escape for people. And you are now changing the dynamic with this weird. With this weird. I, I don't know. It's so weird. <laughs> well, Tom, why don't you carry this good news why don't you carry this cheery demeanor into the next bit of good news we have for our listeners? Well, our news is getting um, better and better. As we said, we are nearing Leon Day quickly, approaching halfway to Christmas, um, which I've never really understood why we have Christmas in July instead of Christmas in June. It seems like an odd timing that I don't really understand. Um, so I'm glad we have Leon Day. But for those of you who are keeping track, like we are tirelessly um, here at Tis the Podcast and Todd as Secret Santa, who is not revealing his real identity to us right now, there are only 4,824 days. Nope. That would be sad. <laughs> there are only 4,824 hours until the glorious celebration of Christmas. That is only 201 days. That's only 28 weeks. That is just 6.443 months away. That's very specific, Todd. Was some, did somebody do that math for you? Tom, Tom was kind enough to do the math for me. You're Tom welcome, so my friend. Kind. I'm here yes. for you. Yes. I'm here for you. He's so kind. Um, I think the so thing kind. I like most about having a fourth co-host, aside from the fact that we get to see our friends cheery faces and hear their voices in real time as we communicate. <laughs> I don't know what's coming. I don't know if he's about to like drop the mic and be like Tom again. You know what I like most about having a, a guest host 
besides the fact that we get to see their cheerful dispositions face to face and hear their voices in real time as we talk, it's that they get to add that little, uh, that little extra short perspective on how close we are to Christmas. Um, it's nice to have that extra little bit. And I'm glad Todd was here just to remind us that we are at under six and a half months until Christmas. Thank you, Todd. Yes, You're thanks, Todd. Thank you, Todd. I know you probably, this was hard for you to get away from the elves that we're not supposed to know that you have. Um, <laughs> but we hope that you're able to make up for the, for the hard work that we know we took you from to be with us this evening. I just thought you guys invited me back so you could see my Christmas tree. Well, I love your Christmas yeah, tree. It's pretty. <laughs> hey, Although I do picture you now in the corner of an empty basement, except for the corners decorated. Uh, can we get a screenshot of Todd to show that he's the most holly jolliest of uh, elves? He is the holly jolliest. I'll get it right now. So, do your homework, gang. Next week, uh, hopefully we're all back to our normal selves because the way Anthony knows how to deal with everyone. And, uh, you know, have a great week. We'll talk to you next, next week. Bye, y'all. Bye. Have a holly jolly June. <laughs> that was ultra NPR. <laughs> we should all we should all speak in soft, deep voices with pregnant pauses amidst our sentences. And some intentional vocal fry to make us sound like we belong on NPR. In the frosty air, what a bright time, it's the right time to rock the night away. Jingle bell time is a swell time to go gliding in the one horse sleigh. Jingle horse, pick up your feet Jingle around the clock Mix and a mingle in the jingle and beat That's the jingle bell rock To go gliding in the one-horse sleigh Giddy-up, jingle horse, pick up your feet Jingle around the clock Mix and a mingle in the jingle and beat That's the jingle bell, that's the jingle bell That's the jingle bell